0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org/new. Well, good morning everybody. So glad to see you guys here in the room, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. Pardon our construction happening here. Um, you know, it's really exciting to begin to see the remodeling of this uh, this room and some much-needed upgrades that um, will be taking place over the course of the next couple of weeks. They tell us it's supposed to be done by Thanks for the Nations Sunday, so we're hopeful about that. Of course, you may have been around a while and heard me talk about when it comes to um, The the renovation of an aging campus. You know, I heard a preacher one time say, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. And while that is certainly true about sin, it's also true of remodeling, right? So uh, pray for us as we continue this project over the course of the next couple weeks, and it should be finished up by Thanks for the Nations. If you have a Bible this morning, grab it, and let's go together to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, as Michael mentioned, we are launching today a new sermon series called Credible. You know, we are living in a time where I think the church is navigating something of a credibility crisis in North America. The the, the trust in the church is at an all-time low. That over the last number of years, the church's credibility within our cultural setting has just taken some hits. That's the imagery from the bumper. The church's credibility has taken a series of hits in recent years. And so what would it mean for the church's declaration of the gospel to be heard as credible? Today, What would it take for the church's announcement of the good news about Jesus to be heard as credible in our cultural setting today? And I believe that the credibility of our proclamation is tethered to the credibility of our way of life together, the credibility of our community, the credibility of our embodied witness to the world. God is calling us to be a people who live together in a certain way that brings credibility to our announcement of the good news. And this morning, as we think about what it would look like for us today to bear a credible witness with a watching world, we're gonna look at a church over the next four weeks, look at a church that's put on display for us in the book of Acts. A church that was remarkably countercultural in their original setting, and yet a church that literally change the world. That as we see this church's story play out here in the book of Acts, you will see that that this church had an impact on the known world in the first century. And we're gonna see that the way they ordered their lives together is part of what made their message credible in their setting. And we're gonna see that what was true of them must be true of us. For them to be who God called them to be and do all that called them to do, God called them to do, they had to be a particular kind of people, and so do we. That just as they were then, so we must be now. That story is told for us in Acts chapter 11 with the church at Antioch. Let's look together there. Beginning in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Spreading the word of God only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The church born here in Acts chapter 11, in the city of Antioch, is the first multi-ethnic missional church. And at IBC, we talk a lot about the idea that God is calling us, the people of Irving Bible Church, to become a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. This is the burden that God has put on our heart to be that kind of church in this time, and this place. And therefore, for us, this is a core story, right? This is a story that we come back to time and time again because their story is our story, that what we learn from them teaches us about how we live a credible witness in our world today. And I love the way the story plays out. We're told at the beginning that, um, that this happened. They reached Antioch because of the persecution that had broken out. You see, Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples in uh, the the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says, um, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The Greek phrase, panta ta ethne, of all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus' commission was to go to all nations, to go to all ethnicities, and yet what did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. The beginning of Acts, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But what did they do? They hunkered down and stayed right where they were. They, they stayed with what was familiar until the persecution broke out. And it was ultimately the persecution that caused them to begin to spread. But as they spread, they spread the gospel. But, but Luke tells us as they spread the gospel, it was originally going out only among Jewish people that they kept it within, within the family, as it were, that that the, the message was going out, but only Jewish people were hearing it and believing it and trusting Jesus as Messiah, despite the fact that Jesus has commissioned them to all ethnicities. They were keeping it to themselves. And so early on, the church was just seen as a sect of Judaism. And it's not until Acts chapter 11 that we see a church that begins to cross those ethnic boundaries, a church that is established, that is a multi-ethnic church. and and We're told that some men from from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. We're not even told their names. I love this about this story. This is a church that's founded by ordinary people, Not, not the superstars of the New Testament. These are just ordinary, flawed, frail, fallen people And I love that that God chooses to use for his purposes in the world, ordinary, flawed, frail, fallen people because those are the only kind of people he has to work with. But it's a great reminder that God can use ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his purposes. So he works through them. The Lord's hand was with them, Luke tells us. And we see born this church, this church born in the city of Antioch. And to understand Antioch, you need to know it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And Antioch was um, characterized by moral chaos, religious pluralism, and ethnic diversity. Right, this massive city in the ancient world characterized by moral chaos, religious pluralism, ethnic diversity. Sound familiar to anybody? Anybody? very similar to the setting in which we find ourselves called by God to live out here. And, uh, and so for them to, to bring this message across those deeply uh, embedded divides was remarkable. Um, there were, by the time of Luke's writing, at least 18 distinct ethnic groups in the city of Antioch. And when the city was built, the, the, the city builders literally built walls to keep the ethnic groups apart, to keep the ethnic groups in their own ethnic ghettos. And so here you have people who are literally climbing over walls to get to others with the message of the gospel. And God's hand was with them and lives are transformed and a church is born. The multi-ethnic missional church of Antioch. Now, what I want to do with you is to have you just pause to think. What must have been true of these people to do what they did? Right? What, what had to be true? What, what kind of people, what, what character traits must they have had to do what they did? In this highly contentious, ethnically divided world of the first century, what had to be true of them to do what they did to birth this kind of church? Now, this is the point at which I would really love to get out my, my uh, dry erase marker and, a, and get a whiteboard up here and kind of Dr. Jones this with you a little bit, right? And, and fill up with words and phrases that describe the kind of people that they must have been to do this. And yet it, it's kind of a big room to do that exercise with. But lucky for you, we did that exercise actually with our staff not that long ago. We talked about what had to be true of these people to do what they did in their day. And we just filled up a whiteboard. I want to share with you the words that were used to describe what must have been true of them. Check these out compassionate, open minded, grace filled, courageous, conviction, humility, connected, faith filled, spirit empowered, bold, trailblazing, vision, differentiated, resolute, resilient, committed. I love this one willingness. To risk, to do what they did, to cross those boundaries, they had to be willing to take some risks. And then this one is so important, a capacity for discomfort. To do what they did in that setting required a high capacity for discomfort. Isn't that a great list? But again, here's what I want you to see. What had to be true of them must also be true of us. What was true of them in their day to do what they did must be true of us in our day to do what God is calling us to do, to be who God is calling us to be. And I wish that I had the time to unpack that entire list of words with you, but time won't permit, but I wanna take four of them and just highlight them for you. That that if we're going to be the kind of church that we see that bears a credible witness, there's four words from that list that I think are really important for us to think about. Compassionate, courageous, grace-filled, Spirit-empowered. Compassionate, courageous, grace-filled, spirit-empowered. First, compassionate. The, 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 this church that is born in the city of Antioch, think about what must have motivated these people to cross those deeply entrenched lines. It's a profound sense of compassion for those who needed Jesus. Jesus. Right? They, they, they broke all the rules. They, they, they defied their cultural expectations because they saw people made in the image of God, people who were desperately in need of the good news of the gospel. And they were moved by compassion to move toward them to meet their needs and to bring them Jesus. That's the way this church is born. If you've been around... Um, Very long, you've probably heard me talk about the fact that when you look back at the Gospels, you read the Gospel writers describing the emotional disposition of Jesus. The most frequently used word to describe the emotional disposition of Jesus is moved with compassion. And isn't it interesting? The first word that they reach for to describe Jesus is compassion. What would it do, friends, for our credibility as a church if the first word people reached for to describe us was compassion. IBC lost a matriarch this week, Bonnie Kelly. And some of you who have known Bonnie, have, have had your life impacted by her. She was a remarkable woman, one of a kind. Bonnie has had a, a huge impact on this community through serving for nearly two decades as part of the advisory council for the Irving Salvation Army. She was the head of the League of Volunteers and she just mobilized that group of, particularly of of women that she surrounded herself with. And if you knew her, you couldn't say no to Bonnie. And so Bonnie just got this group of people and mobilized them to help meet the needs of people in our city through the Salvation Army. Impacted hundreds of families and children. And uh, I was speaking to her daughter and she told me that on the, the day that Bonnie passed away, she was supposed to meet with some of her volunteers from the Salvation Army for lunch at a local restaurant. And, but she began to feel faint as she was getting ready, so she called a neighbor to come check on her. The neighbor came and checked on her and called the paramedics. But then Bonnie had her call the restaurant to let the people know why she wasn't gonna be there and to pay for their lunch. And if you know her, that's so like Bonnie, right? Thinking about and taking care of the needs of other people right up until the end. May we be the kind of people who are that kind of people that that think about and move towards meeting the needs of other people all the days of our lives. Bonnie is one of those IBCers you just want to clone. The the world could use a whole lot more Bonnie Kellys. But may we all be people who are known for compassion, people who see the needs of others and move forward toward them, a community of compassion. Second, in order for them to be who they were in their day, to do what they did in their day, and and for us to be who God has called us to be in our day, second is courageous, that they had to be courageous to defy all kinds of expectation of their world to launch this kind of church. To bear a credible witness in our world today, we must be people of courage, people who resist the pressure of compromise and conformity to the surrounding culture. In an age marked by outrage, fear, hostility, and blame, we must say, we will not play your game. In an age marked by deeply entrenched divisions, ideological divisions, socioeconomic divisions, racial and ethnic divisions, we must say, we follow Jesus, the boundary breaker. Think about the courage that was required of these church planters in Antioch. Courage to cross these deeply entrenched lines and to do something remarkable that the world had never seen. Howard Thurman was a famous theologian, spiritual writer, and civil rights activist. A man of profound courage. But in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, he tells a story about how he formed courage when he was just a little boy. He talks about a time when he was just a child in 1910 when Halley's Comet passed within view. And and listen to him tell this story about seeing the comet that night with his mother. He said, one night, I was awakened by my mother who told me to dress quickly and come with her out into the backyard to see the comet. I shall never forget it as as long as I live. My mother stood with me, her hand resting on my shoulder while I in utter speechless awe. Beheld the great spectacle with a fan of light spreading across the heavens. The silence was like that of absolute motion. Finally, after what seemed to me an interminable time interval, I found my speech. With bated breath, I said, What will happen to us if the comet falls out of the sky? My mother's silence was so long that I looked from the comet. her face. And there I beheld something in her countenance that I had only seen once before when I had come into her room and found her in prayer. And when she spoke, she said, nothing will happen to us, Howard. God will take care of us. And then he concludes this way. Many things have I seen since that night. Times without number, I have learned that life is hard, as hard as crucible steel. But as the years have unfolded, the majestic power of my mother's glowing words has come back again and again, beating out its rhythmic chant in my own spirit. Here are the faith and the awareness that overcome fear and transform it into the power to strive, to achieve, and not to yield. God will take care of us. Howard Thurman came to realize that the same power that created that comet and controlled it through the sky was alive inside of him, that God is with us and God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? That confidence that God will take care of us gives us courage to do what God has called us to do. I've seen you move a mountain. I believe you'll do it again. We can trust in the goodness of God. To be who God's called us to be, we must be people of compassion and people of courage. But third, to, to be grace-filled. Grace-filled. And I first arrived on the scene at Irving Bible Church in 1994. I first stepped Step foot in the building down on Finley Road. And uh, one of the things that struck me from the very beginning as I encountered this church was this is a church that was all about grace. A a church that didn't just talk about grace, but a church that was marked by grace. A, A church that was formed by grace. A church that believed in grace, but a church that extended grace. And from the very beginning, I had a profound sense. This is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Having no idea that nearly three decades later, I'd be standing here doing this. But what drew me to this body was grace. But the thing that we have to recognize, even as we think about the story of the, the church at Antioch, is that grace wasn't just the message of grace that they took to their neighbors. It was also the grace that they extended to one another. Because once again, think about it. The world has never seen a religious community like this before. In that time, in the first century world, your ethnicity and your religion were inherently bound up together. Roman people believed in the Roman gods, the Greek people, the Greek gods, the Jewish people, the Jewish gods, and on and on and on. You could go, your ethnicity and your religion were bound up together. That's why the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch, because they didn't know what to call them. We've never seen anything like this before. And Paul in Ephesians said God's purpose in the cross of Jesus, what God was up to, part of what God was up to in the work of Christ is to create in himself a little phrase, henna anthropon, one new humanity. And that word kynos, it's used there for new, is not like new in a sequence, like the latest and greatest, the new and improved. There's a different word that he could use if he was talking about new in a sequence. He's talking about new as in the world has never seen. And the way in which God creates this community like the world has never seen was there by the grace of Jesus, but the grace of Jesus not just declared, the grace of Jesus expressed. Because you think in a a church like that, you think navigating cultural difference ever got complicated, right? You think think anybody ever took any missteps, made any mistakes? You You think anybody ever got offended or took offense? Anybody's toes ever got stepped on? Absolutely, right? And so, what held them together was their willingness to give and receive grace to one another. And if we're going to be the kind of people God's called us to be, we need not only be sent out in the world to proclaim the message of grace, we need to live out grace in our relationship one with another. To be compassionate, to be courageous, to be grace filled, to be spirit empowered. Look back at the story. Verse 21. Verse 21, Luke, in telling this story, says, the Lord's hand was with them. And then jump to verse 23, talking about Barnabas. He said, Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. And then verse 24, he was a good man, that is Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to to the Lord. Luke goes out of his way here three times to make it clear that they didn't accomplish this by their own ingenuity, right? To make it clear that they didn't accomplish this because they were experts in strategic planning or marketing or public relations. They didn't accomplish something that the world had never seen before because they were really smart or really well-spoken or really socially savvy. They accomplished this by their desperate dependence on the power of God. depending on the spirit, desperate dependence on the power of God. You know, I have a story that I tell from time to time. You perhaps have heard it before. I've shared it with a few people just recently, but it's a story that I just continue to come back to, a simple story that illustrates a really important point. The time that I was driving our silver minivan with our kids, so this was years ago when my kids were little. We're driving the minivan and the kids see a Burger King. Have you heard this Burger King story before? The kids see a Burger King. Dad, pull in the Burger King. And so against my better judgment, I pull into Burger King. We drive through Burger King and I order a Whopper. And so we're now back out on the road. I'm driving my whole family in the silver minivan down the road and I take a bite of that Whopper and I start to choke. And it just, it was one of those just scary moments, right? I'm driving down the road with family in tow and I think I'm about to die and take my whole family with me. I'm choking and I'm coughing, I'm sputtering, I'm trying to get it out, right? And in that moment, you had this kind of experience before, right? In that moment, I was desperately aware of my need for oxygen, right? I was desperately aware of my need for oxygen. But here's the deal. I'm every bit as desperate for oxygen in this moment as I was in that one. I'm just not as desperately aware of it. And the fact of the matter is, we sometimes go through circumstances in our lives that make us desperately aware of our need for God. And yet we need him every bit as desperately in every moment of our lives. And these were people who practiced desperate dependence on the presence and power of God. And the only way that they created something that the world had never seen before was because the hand of the Lord was with them because of their dependence on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. For them to be who they were, to do what they did, required them to be compassionate and courageous and grace-filled and spirit-empowered. And for us to be who God's called us to be, to do what God has called us to do, we must be that kind of people as well. In 1997, Apple launched their iconic Think Different ad campaign, one of my favorite commercials of all time. It it featured a black and white footage of visionaries like Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, Albert Einstein, and Bob Dylan. And underneath it was a voice reading what must be one of the best pieces of ad copy ever penned. It says, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers— the round pegs and square holes, the ones who see things differently, they're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, you can disagree with them, you can glorify or vilify them about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world, are the ones who do. Friends, I want us to be a community of crazy ones, of compassionate, courageous, grace-filled, spirit-empowered crazy ones. May God make us into that kind of people to bear a credible witness to a needy world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this story, this picture of the church at Antioch, for all that, the, that we can learn today from the way that they lived so faithfully to you then, the way in which we can see your spirit moving in their midst and changing lives and literally changing the world. And God, we want to be people who are used by you to bear a credible witness to the gospel of Jesus because it's the gospel of Jesus that changes things. It's the gospel of Jesus that gives us hope. It's the gospel of Jesus that gives us healing. It's the gospel of Jesus that gives us transformation. It's the gospel of Jesus that enables perseverance. It's the gospel of Jesus that brings us peace. God, we want to bear a credible witness to the gospel of Jesus in the world. And so make us compassionate, courageous, grace-filled, Spirit-empowered. And now, Lord, as we approach this table this morning, we thank you that it is through the gospel that you have created this one new humanity, that you've made possible our reconciliation with you by grace through faith, and you've made it possible for us to experience reconciliation one with another. So in these moments of response, Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would move across this room that you would change hearts, minds, and lives, Lord, as we respond to you as is fitting for each of us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.